Um, this story here in Jeremiah chapter 32 is, uh, is just a, a super interesting story. Um, and, and so so what we're going to do is just kind of walk through the story and, and then really, uh, like I said with the kids, just kind of land on hope and talk about what hope is and, and how uh, this story kind of breathes hope into hopeless uh, situations. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, um, God comes and tells Jeremiah to buy a field. And so uh, just kind of the, the question that I have for you is if we remove the God command portion of it, uh, would you say that buying a field, buying a piece of property is a good investment or a bad investment? Don't answer that. <laughs> don't you're too late. <laughs> uh, don't answer it because what we're going to do is we're going to get clearer and clearer on that as we go along this morning. So uh, at the surface level, uh, God commands Jeremiah to buy a field. Uh, if, uh, Amanda, go ahead and uh, just kind of follow along here. Um, if we go to a different layer of the story, what we see is that the field is actually in the hands of the enemy. Uh, the Babylonians have already come up against the city of Jerusalem. This is chapter 32, verse 2. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. So in other words, uh, the Babylonian army, the world power at that time, has already come up against the city of Jerusalem, and they've set siege against it. They've surrounded it. And so um, nothing from within the city can uh, get out, and nothing from outside the city can get in. Right? It is completely cut off. That's a massively important detail, because Jeremiah is in the city of Jerusalem, and guess what? The field that he's supposed to buy is Anathoth, which is outside of the city of Jerusalem. In other words, it's in the hands of the Babylonian army. Um, so, so Jeremiah has no access to this field. It has a total of zero dollars worth of market value, and there is no hope at this time of market turnaround. Good investment for Jeremiah to make, or bad investment for Jeremiah to make? <laughs> Uh, there's another layer to this, right? If we keep on going, we can talk more about where Jeremiah is. He's not just in Jerusalem, but he's also in a minimal security prison at this time. So this is also in verse 2. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. Uh, this is kind of a, a separate story in itself, but um, Jeremiah uh, goes to Zedekiah and the other leaders in the land of Judah, and he says, hey, guess what? The Babylonian army is going to come, and you're going to lose, right? You're going to lose, and you're going to lose everything, and the city of Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. Uh, this is not a popular message to deliver to a king and the other leaders in that city that's going to be destroyed. And so they grab Jeremiah, and they lock him in this kind of minimal security prison. Um, the, the king had, you know, of course, a palace, and then one of the palace courtyards was for these kind of, you know, not the worst offenders of society, but for these uh, kind of offenders of the state. And so they would have had some freedom within the courtyard, and they would have had access to the outside, um, but it's still minimal security kind of prison, right? And so Jeremiah is in prison, and he's offered this field that's in the hands of the enemies, no access, no market value. Is this a good investment or a bad investment for Jeremiah to make? There's one more layer here, uh, if we want to continue to make it worse, um, and it's who's offering the field to Jeremiah. This is found in verse 6. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. So as I'm uh, understanding this and looking at family trees, I think it's a cousin of Jeremiah that comes and offers Jeremiah this field. 
Um, that's kind of an interesting thing because um, earlier in the life of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was commanded to keep a distance from his family. Now, that's a, a separate story in itself, but we just have to know that God tells Jeremiah, look, if, if your family gathers together socially to mourn the loss of a loved one, I want you to stay away from that social gathering. If your family gathers together to celebrate something, I want you to stay away from that social gathering. So, so for years now, Jeremiah has kept a social distance from his family, which is going to create a level of tension between him and the rest of his family. It's going to create a level of distrust, uh, a level of doubt between him and the family. And so just see this, right? An untrusted family member is coming and saying, hey, I got a smoking deal for you, Right? I've got a smoking deal for you. I've got this field. While you're in prison, I've got this field for you that, that you can purchase, and it's in the hands of the enemies, and you have no access to it, and it has zero market value. Why don't you buy my field? Good investment opportunity or bad investment opportunity? It's a super interesting story that we get here in Jeremiah chapter 32, and we kind of have to ask the question, Why? Why in the world does Jeremiah buy this, this field? Everything from a worldly standpoint and a worldly point of view says, Jeremiah, you stupid, <laughs> right? So this is the worst possible investment that you could make. Everything from a worldly standpoint and a worldly point of view says this makes absolutely no sense. And in fact, what we see uh, and heard, right, is Jeremiah kind of going to God and saying, hey, God, what's the deal with this? Why do you want me to buy this field? And so I think that we want to offer uh, maybe, maybe two, two, two things, right, that, uh, uh, that help us to answer that why question. Um, one uh, reason why is the obedience factor. It's just the fact that God commanded him to do it. And, and over and over again, we get this, uh, the, Jeremiah is just this living example for us that says, <clears throat> When God invites you into something, you follow God, even if it doesn't really make sense to you. And that's what we see here in chapter 32. Jeremiah is pretty honest, like, hey, God, this makes no sense to me, but uh, I'm going to obey and do it. I'm going to follow, uh, even though it doesn't make sense. And so one reason uh, that, you know, to the, one answer to the, to the question why is obedience, um, the second one is uh, that Jeremiah is looking at something other than himself and his circumstances, uh, which is a fancy way of saying the four-letter word H-O-P-E, hope. We've got to see this, and we'll sit here for quite a while, that, um, that, that Jeremiah is in a very much uh, hopeless situation. He's in this spot where everything is pushing against him, where everything is, is going against him, where, where the road that he is looking down says this is impossible to have any hope right now. And we have to kind of admit and probably raise the hands of our hearts and say, yes, sometimes we hit those seasons, yeah? Where, where it just seems so difficult to have any kind of hope. Um, hope, if we remember, is, is more than a vague wish, uh, but a certainty that something better is going to come, right? A, a, a hope uh, is a certainty that, that there are better days ahead. And, and there are just some seasons in life, right, if we're honest, um, where, where it seems awfully difficult to see any kind of future, let alone a future that is bright. And that's what Jeremiah is facing, 
Uh, Jeremiah and the people of God, right, we've got to see this, are, are under constant attack. The city of Babylon has, or the nation of Babylon has literally come and surrounded them and is attacking the city. And some seasons for us, right, it feels like we're under constant attack. Um, maybe we sort of sense that we're under attack from Satan and his workers. Maybe it feels like we're constantly under attack from the world. Uh, maybe it feels like we're under attack at our job or in our families. Um, Jeremiah is, is chained down by his circumstances. He's literally in prison. He probably wasn't wearing chains, but uh, metaphorically speaking, he's wearing chains and he's tied down by his circumstances. And he's capable of far less than he would like to be. He's in prison with very little hope of getting out, mind you, because he's already prophesied that the city's going to be destroyed. And quite frankly, Zedekiah and the leaders have bigger fish to fry, right? They're trying to deal with and survive this world power of Babylon attacking their city. And, uh, and sometimes we have to admit that there are just circumstances that kind of come up against us that sort of tie us down and, and chain us down and make us capable of far less than we would like to be. Um, and Jeremiah is literally staring in the face of, of, of tension-filled relationships. He's looking at a family member uh, who he really probably can't and shouldn't be trusting in that moment. Uh, and we have to admit that sometimes relationships are just so hard and so sticky and, uh, and, and so tension-filled, right, that it's, it's difficult. And just see this, right? Uh, if we face any one of those three things, it, it has this tendency to send us into a season of depression and, and despair. It, it has a tendency to raise our anxiety and our worries uh, for a season. And Jeremiah is facing all three of these things. And, and he's just looking down this road that says it is impossible to have any hope, to see any kind of future right now. But he buys the field, yeah, because God commanded him, but also because he's looking beyond his circumstances, and he's looking instead at a God who does impossible things. I just want you to see this. This is a fascinating line in this chapter, and it's why we're starting to look at it here in the first Sunday in December Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, um, uh, Jeremiah says this. It was kind of interesting, not to say that you read it wrong, but, but you kind of went, ah, Lord God. And, and here's how I read it. I, I read Jeremiah going, ah, Lord God, why? Right? That's kind of the sense of uh, probably how he's actually saying it. He says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you, God. Can you hear that heartbeat of Jeremiah? He's not looking at himself or the, or the hopeless situation. He's looking instead at a God who, who, who can do impossible things whom nothing is too hard for. And later on in the same chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter thir uh, 32, verse 27, this is God speaking, and God himself says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. In other words, hey, I'm in control of everything. The God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me? It's pretty interesting. Uh, there's only two other places in Scripture uh, where, where this kind of language comes up. Uh, one is in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, I think it's verse 27. Uh, no, uh, chapter 18, verse 14. Um, an angel comes to this guy named Abraham, 
and says, hey, Abraham, um, you're 100 years old, but guess what? You're going to have a, a baby. And do you know what uh, Abraham and Sarah's reaction is? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, they laugh. And in the next verse, the angel says to Abraham and to Sarah, is anything too difficult, too hard for the Lord? The only other time uh, that we really uh, see this kind of language is in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 27. When an angel comes to a young girl named Mary and says, hey Mary, um, you're a virgin, but you are going to have a child. And uh, Mary says, how in the world is that possible? And the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that young girl who was a virgin and is about to have a baby is going to give birth to hope. Um, and point our hearts to a God who does impossible things. Jeremiah buys the field uh, because he's not looking at his own circumstances. He's not looking at how he can create and manufacture a better future for himself. Can you imagine uh, if he would look at his situation and say, oh, I can defeat the Babylonians? No, this is the world power at that time. He has no chance. And can you imagine if he's like, oh, I'm just going to bust out of jail and buy this property and make it all better for my future? That doesn't make any sense because it's in the hands of the enemies and there's no chance of him getting out. Can you imagine if you just, you know, if I just make all these family relationships work, then I'll have a better future. No, he's not trying to manufacture a better future. He's looking at a God who has promised a better future. He's looking at a God who has manufactured a better future. He's looking at a God who is creating a better future. And even though all the situations and circumstances of this road say there is no hope, he can be certain and he can be confident that there are better days ahead because of Jesus. You and I have that same hope. Um, and so maybe you're in that kind of desperate place today. Maybe you'll get there in the month of December <laughs> as the busyness goes on. Uh, maybe you'll face it sometime in 2020. Jeremiah 32 and Jesus invite us to lift our eyes off of ourselves and look at a God who does impossible things. Amen? Nothing's too hard for him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just really celebrate that truth today. We, we, uh, we honor and we acknowledge and we praise you because nothing is impossible for you. Uh, you said it to a man named Abraham. Um, you spoke it here to Jeremiah, and you said it to a girl named Mary, and you're speaking it to our hearts today. And so we, uh, we just bring ourselves and our situations, um, uh, our difficulties, our struggles, and we lay them at your feet, and we trust in you uh, to be creating that better future. Uh, we trust in you and, and your power and your goodness. 
um, to usher us into that better future. Uh, we thank you so much for the uh, chance to, to see your greatness, your power, and your love. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.